and look at just that uh, first section. Psalm 72. It is a psalm of Solomon, and the same form is used uh, in uh, in Hebrew, where you see uh, such a preface as um, as of David. So we've surmised this is not just about Solomon, uh, but it is by Solomon, and really a prayer. Uh, for his own kingdom, as well as uh, a prayer uh, for uh, the, the wildly, uh, excessively glorious kingdom of Jesus, which he could not fully grasp at the time of this writing. Psalm 72, 1-7. through seven. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth in his days May the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that uh, this evening you would give us a glimpse of um, the kingdom of of Solomon, but more significantly and to the point of your glorious kingdom in all the ways that uh, it finds expression in our own lives, in our church, in our hopes, in our dreams, in our courage, in our commitments, in our abilities to live for Your glory. And so we pray that You would meet us, that You would meet us and stir us by Your Word to be men and women and boys and girls who live for Your glory. Amen. Once the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray... And of course, one of the answers he gave at that time were the words of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done and so forth. Uh, Luther, uh, in his little book on prayer, um, uh, encourages us uh, to do riffs on the various um, petitions of the prayer. And and Psalm 72 is, is, you might say, a riff Uh, on the prayer, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And this evening then, we want to look at this psalm, actually just the first section of this psalm, understanding our theology that Jesus is the king, uh, understanding his lordship and what he has come to accomplish by his grace through the ministry of the Spirit. And we want to praise two things about the kingdom of Christ. We want to pray two things for his glorious rule. Pray for the king's righteous rule. Pray for the king's righteous rule in our lives, in our church. And then pray also for the king's bountiful rule. His righteousness and his bounty. As we've said, as Solomon opens up this psalm, he has in view 
uh, if we're thinking of modes of transportation in today's parlance, he's thinking of a Model T that is puttering along and, and, uh, and it is finding fulfillment, of course, in the coming of Jesus. But we look at Solomon for just a moment. And he is praying that God would king, give the king your justice, your righteousness. And then verse 2, he says, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Solomon, none of the kings, ruled through their own legislation. They did not legislate justice. They upheld the law that was already given. Can you imagine how the kingdom of of, um, Israel would be different if the kings did as they were instructed? And I want you to turn back with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And I'm going to read several verses at the end of that chapter. Imagine how the life of the king would be affected, would be driven, would be controlled for the glory of God if he were to keep this instruction. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law, this law, approved by the Levitical priests, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandments either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. The king was to write it. He was to read it daily. He was to learn to practice the fear of the Lord. And he was to do them. He was to obey. And as we see in, uh, in Psalm 72... It is in particular how he would learn, how he would practice in fulfillment of the, of the chorus that is recorded throughout the old, throughout the Pentateuch in particular. His care for four groups of people, four related, the, the, the quadruple people of, of God's care, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the sojourners, so often listed together. It was a particularly, uh, God was particularly concerned that he be a guardian of justice and apply the law fairly and righteously and rigorously to this people group. Especially, of course, God's concern for how he treat, would treat the least of those in Israel. Now, it is here that we so often uh, take that jump uh, from Solomon, from the kings of the Old Testament, And we look ahead very, very quickly, perhaps, perhaps too quickly, uh, to the fulfillment of Christ's kingdom where we identify ourselves, and appropriately so, as the spiritually poor. Those who are tyrannized by the oppressor, by Satan. And those who are under the power or control of the enemy of sin itself. 
And yet we are rescued by King Jesus and it is wonderful and it is true every bit of that. Our spiritual poverty, we see it. We daily feel its effects. And yet that oppression is dealt with definitively and powerfully at the cross of Christ. It is possible. It is possible to jump very quickly um, to the New Testament and to our Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've wanted to slow down a little bit in going through this psalm and, and, and take a little bit of time to look today at the way King Jesus intended to rule his people then with concern for the poor, uh, for the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. And ask this question, does the Old Testament law reflect God's attitude toward caring for the poor today? Does the Old Testament law faithfully reflect God's attitude in caring for the poor today? Another way to ask that question, is there a political and social application to the Old Testament, to Old Testament justice? To be even more specific, uh, do we have special responsibility for the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the sojourners? Now, I tread here somewhat lightly because in this day and age, uh, in, the, in our society, uh, the theme of social justice is heard daily and routinely. And it is spoken frequently in the church as well. You will find in many churches uh, a shift even in their mission. And a mission that can be described most clearly as a concern for social Justice, And there are churches whose mission it has now become uh, to seek to provide safe housing uh, for people in their region, to uh, do what they can uh, to encourage uh, good health care and diet among people. And there are people who will fight for, in in the church and outside of the church, for a, a legal system that is fair for all people. And those things are good. They are good. But the church may never uh, overlook that our biggest problem is alienation from God and our need for a Savior. Nonetheless, the Old Testament law does provide a pattern. It provides general principles of fairness. What our, what our confession calls we, the general equity of the law and it does apply to public policy. Let me read this section from the confession. He gave sundry, that is a variety of, he gave sundry judicial laws which expired together with the state of the people, the state of Israel, not obliging any other now further than the general equity thereof, that general equity may require. So while the, the judicial law of the Old Testament has expired and did expire as the, in the dissolution of the land of is the people of Israel, uh, in Israel, uh, there is still a general equity that can be applied now. And as we've sung today, as we've, as we've been singing today, that Jesus, King Jesus, is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that speaks to the obligations of even societies today to respect his lordship. I I want to remind you of what what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar 
when Nebuchadnezzar was expressing some of his pride and some of his willfulness, uh, this is how Daniel very, very patiently and gently, uh, incur- if you, uh, gently encouraged uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Practice righteousness, he said, to the king. Practice righteousness. Show mercy to the oppressed. And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You're not going to last forever, king. But your reign may be lengthened if you show mercy to the oppressed and if you practice righteousness. God blesses nations that uphold the general equity of the law. God blesses nations that, among other things, uh, seek to care appropriately for the poor. Whatever I may say tonight, I am not advocating particular policy. Okay, I don't, I don't even want to go in that water. Uh, but, uh, but God uh, would bless nations that uphold general equity of the law in care for the poor, in care for the oppressed, in, in caring for children, both the born and unborn. I think many of us have been impacted even in this past week that our president, President Trump, uh, was the first sitting president uh, to address in person those who gathered for the March for Light in Washington. I've been on that march a number of times myself and I've heard presidents uh, speak over a loudspeaker uh, to the, the, the thousands and thousands gathered there. But I've never seen a president there. President Trump is, um, is unpopular for his bad things. But he is also unpopular for his good things. And yet we are thankful for those ways in which he has sought to uphold Um, biblical principle. And we cannot judge a person's heart as is so commonly done today. Keep in mind as well, from Ezekiel, uh, there is this phrase that the children of sojourners are to be treated as native-born. So something else that we want to do, besides protect the life of the unborn, we also want to have a wise and fair and generous immigration policy, a a legal way to absorb sojourners while upholding every step of the way the integrity of the nuclear family. This is God's call for us as a nation to support those ventures that would seek to uphold the integrity of the family as we care for children unborn and children born. You could argue as well that, in a different area, that the government should not be in the education business, should not be uh, uh, running the school system in our country. You can argue that if you wish, but it's not the world we live in. So we have concern about city schools that churn out undereducated individuals, undereducated poor people, often 
people of color. I have a good friend who is a point of contact uh, in our school systems in Salem, New Jersey, and so do you. (laughs) I'm thinking of Regina. We've spoken about this frequently. One of the things that Regina tells me is that, in fact, she urged me even today to go down and visit the library uh, in Salem County. Um, many times, and this is representative, uh, representative of, many, of many city libraries, small town libraries like this, they are barren in terms of the quality uh, that would entice children to read or even learn how to read. The, pro- the library in Salem is simply nothing like the library that you would see, for example, in Gloucester County on Route 45. Kids are graduating from Salem High, graduating from Salem High with a third grade level of reading capability. You simply don't have a level playing field with such systemic inequity. And that's why I love what she is doing. This is not government right now. Uh, She is, as an advocate, responding to this need with the compassion of Christ teaching children how to read so they may be able to find a job that is more satisfying and income-producing than simply flipping burgers. Teaching kids to read who are not learning to read in school. She has a vision uh, to encourage and equip parents to to make a difference in their children's education And this is all an uphill climb for her. It is against the flow of the river in her city. And you might argue that it is today's cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Yes, we want to support political um, policies uh, and, uh, and programs that address inequality. We want to see excellent teachers that are being supported by excellent administrators. But there's also room uh, to serve the way Regina herself does. It is not that she is doing the mission of the kingdom. It is not that. But she is instead is a kingdom citizen who is showing the king's love that accompanies the gospel. All of that under the heading that Jesus is king even now. And Jesus still loves the poor, the orphan the widow, the sojourner. Well, let's take a look at at the next uh, next, uh, verses 5 through 7. And we're praying now. So we're praying for righteousness in the kingdom. How can can we be engaged in, in in kingdom righteousness? How can our government be engaged in kingdom righteousness? And we also then pray for the king's bountiful rule, verses, uh, verses 5 through 7. Let me read that section again. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. We, um, we praise God 
for what our hymn writers capture so marvelously well. Uh, we'll sing in a, in a moment, uh, number 311, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. But I want to look at just a chapter or verse one, verses three through, or lines three through four to, to capture what, what, uh, the psalm has, has said in these verses. Um, um, all blessings and all, and all bless. Uh, uh, he comes to break oppression, to set the captive free, to take away transgression and rule in equity. It is the captive, it is the, it is the one who is oppressed by, by the transgressions and sin that Satan, or that the Lord Jesus comes to, to, to um, release from Satan's control. And so we praise God for Jesus' salvation, bringing freedom to those blinded by Satan's tyranny. And, but notice the language in this section. It is a language of generosity. It is a language of, of bounty, the king's bounty. It is a fertile kingdom. Rain falling on mown grass. It brings, it brings health. It brings growth. It brings prosperity. It brings wellness to the kingdom. But there is also a personal quality to this that people are renewed by the Holy Spirit. People receive the rebirth of the Holy Spirit. May He be like rain, verse 6, that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. He comes, Jesus comes as spring rain, and He brings forth new, new growth. Hearts and lives of God's people are flourishing in the Spirit. This is, this is language of of opulence. It is, it is language of, of glorious prosperity. And, and it is, the, it is the, the account of those born of water and the Spirit whose lives are cleansed and who have therefore new life power. And I want to tell you a story. Kids, I want to tell you a story tonight. And it's a story from C.S. Lewis. And I want you to listen to the way in which um, Eustace, the obnoxious boy Eustace, was made new. So listen. Listen up, guys and girls. Uh, Eustace finds a dragon's lair and he greedily uh, puts on a gold bracelet, bracelet over his arm and he falls asleep. He wakes up as a dragon. These words from C.S. Lewis. Sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. That night, Aslan comes to Eustace and leads him to a large well. Water that was so clear, he thought that if he could get in it and bathe, it would ease the pain in his arm from the gold bracelet he had put on when he was a human. But Aslan told him he had to undress first. No matter how many layers of dragon skins he managed to peel off of himself, he was still a dragon. And then the lion, that is Aslan, a picture of Jesus, then the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back, 
to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts, but it's such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I'd been. Then he caught hold of me and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. It turned me into a boy again. Okay, one lesson I want you to get from this is that you trust Aslan's regenerating power. You pray and you don't give up. You have loved ones who may seem to be blasé. You have friends who have very little time for Jesus. They just don't see the relevance. And at times you become anxious And that can lead you to a sense of futility. But the call of Hosea chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 through 3 to you. Uh, Listen to the call of Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 and look for a hint of Jesus' resurrection in this passage. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us. Listen to the Lord's action here. He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. You look at someone, you don't see any life in him. You don't see any life in her. But these phrases from uh, Herman Bobbing, let me read, in the calling, the calling of a dead person to spiritual life, in the calling and in the regeneration, the preservation and glorification of believers the same power of God is manifested as was exhibited in the resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Christ. Do you have an obnoxious Eustace in your life? Or maybe even a sweet one. Who does the calling? And who does the regenerating? And who does the preserving And who does the glorifying? Trust in Aslan's regenerating power and don't give up.
The second thing I want you to learn from this is to have high hopes that we will flourish. In our day, um, we have more of an emphasis on justification by faith than we do on regeneration. In, in the great, one of the great themes of the, of the revivals, uh, the First Great Awakening for sure, the great theme there was regeneration. The great theme was that God does marvelous things to wake up and give life to dead people. We, we've lost some of the power of that in our thinking. And we think more in legal terms of justification, which is essential, important, and beautiful. But regeneration is the power of God working to change people's lives. Let's go back to our story. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace would be a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. And there were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But the cure had begun. You are a different person. Without being unrealistic, expect more of yourself. Again, thoughts from, from, uh, from Bob Inc. When you are born again... You really become yourself. When you are born again, you become the one you were made to be. The flesh, John 6. The flesh, I'm sorry, John 3, verse 6. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And what a wonderful, free, powerful thing it is to view not just ourselves, but others, view with confident expectation as those in whom Aslan is still working. And it is simply unbelief, it is laziness, and it is unfruitful to view them in their old light. Dragon skin intact. We view them instead as we view ourselves as those made new. This is almost hard for me to read, but I'm going to read one more from Herman Bobbink. In this regeneration, a perfect man is born. Although not yet mature, and having to struggle still against all kinds of sins of the flesh, Galatians 5.17, nevertheless desires to live in the newness of the Spirit. Now, obviously, Bob Inc. and I am, we're not saying that that perfect person who is born is morally perfect. But he is a new creature, and in the power of the Spirit. And yes, there is struggle against all kinds of sins of the flesh, but there is both the desire and there is some capability to live in the newness of the Spirit. So learn to view yourself and others with a joyful expectation. And when you're dealing with someone who doesn't see life this way, they are far more fascinated with their own performance and their own failures than they are realizing the power of the Spirit to regenerate, to make new, to make a perfect new man. What's your job? 
You have a vision of who they are and who they are becoming, even when they don't. And you pray, and you love, and you speak truth, and you encourage, and you always have this goal in mind, the glory of Christ. Christ brings a righteous kingdom. He doesn't simply work righteousness or give us the goal of working righteousness in, in the world. That's not what I was saying today. He has given us his righteousness. You've got it. He's also been very bountiful in giving us the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we pray that um, you would grant to us an appropriate vision of the glory of Christ and the majesty of his kingdom and the righteousness of his kingdom uh, worked in us, given to us and being worked in us. And we pray as well that you would grant to each one of us here where we tend to be chintzy as we judge one another, judge ourselves and judge others, we tend to be chintzy, we tend not to view in the power and the the work of the Spirit. Uh, Open our eyes to see the kingdom um, and, and to see kingdom citizens flourishing around us that we may live, Lord, for your glory and the beauty of your holiness. Amen. Let's stand and sing number um, uh, 311, Hail to the Lord's Anointing.